Okay, gang, I'm going to go ahead and get started. I uh, appreciate your time uh, carving it out of your busy schedules to spend some time with me. I greatly appreciate it. My name is uh, Bill Hosel. I'm a lieutenant with the Austintown Township Police Department. And this is a program that our department runs for our area. Uh, we just so happen to have in, within our township a trustee who is a, a pastor of a, one of our larger churches in our community. And he's seen, obviously, uh, the need for church security. So he tasked our police department and said, hey, you know, is there something that can be done? Is, is there something that we can be doing uh, from a law enforcement standpoint? And so, you know, of course, the chief save it, surveyed the landscape. I think we got a chair or two. Come on in. Yeah. We're going to have you right up front, pal. Close eye on you. So the chief surveys the landscape and he says, uh, hey, you go to church all the time. You do this. Okay. Happy to do it. So uh, this is my contact information. That's my email address at the township, at the police department. And uh, that, is my, uh, that is the phone number, direct line to my office. You'll get my voicemail. I'm a commander on midnight turn. So uh, unless you're rolling around at 3 in the morning, you're not going to get me. I'll call you later. Um, some of my background here, I happen to have the uh, unbelievable uh, honor to go to the FBI National Academy. I'm a graduate of it. Been in law enforcement since 1989. I was a canine handler. I've been a patrol. Come on in, sir. Certainly. There you go. You can have the teacher seat right up front. You can. We'll let you run the class. This is my last handout, sir, so next guy in, sorry for your luck. Been in law enforcement since 89, a supervisor, a graduate of Northwestern University School of Staff and Command, blah, blah, blah. More importantly, my personal background. I've been a believer since 1990, an active member of my church, Highway Tabernacle Assembly of God in Austintown. I've been on the church board for 18 years. Uh, highway runs uh, what's called Valley Christian School. We have about almost 900 students in our school. I'm a school board member there. I'm the girls' varsity basketball coach. Uh, so essentially, I'm you. Um, I think this is far more important than uh, some of my law enforcement background simply because I can appreciate some of the perspectives, some of the thought processes that you may be coming up against. Um, this program, this hour, is designed to lay the groundwork for the need uh, for church security. And then uh, in session two, we'll talk about how to form that safety team, uh, what that looks like, who should be on it. Obviously not the guy who really wants to be on the safety team, right? Probably not that guy. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about a lot of those things, but uh, our time here for the next several minutes will be simply laying the, the foundation for why we need this. Um, I'm going to come up against, I'm going to push you, I'm not here to have a theological debate, uh, but I'm going to push uh, some of our belief systems that some might think are faulty, I believe God is at work. This is an appointed time even here. And so uh, we'll talk about some of those things. For some of us in this room, that is a symbol of power, strength, discipline. Come on now. Right? Fortunately, that's not what it is today. That represents the number of people killed in fires 
in our houses of worship since the 1950s. Our firefighter friends have done a fantastic job of having uh, fire alarm systems and push bars and exit signs and fire drills and all those things, and they've done a great job, and no one has died in a church fire since the 1950s. However, that number represents the number of individuals killed in violent encounters on church property simply since 1999. 1,705. There are more people killed in relation to houses of worship than school shootings. Not a lot of people know that. Total number kills, 617. Total number injured, 941 since 1999 in deadly force encounters. So why church security, right? So New Life Assembly of God, anybody familiar with it? Colorado, Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's a church of, I think, about 30,000 individuals. Um, in 2005, they had an elaborate church safety program in place. Armed security, staffed, full-time. Had an intelligence division. Had a dignitary protection division. Uh, the morning that this occurred, their chief of security happened to notice that at, at a, uh, I, won't, I hope I'll say it right, YWAM or a, a YWAM? YWAM. A YWAM, which I think was about 90 miles away, had been attacked. A number of people uh, shot. And so uh, Chief of Security kind of puts out the description to his safety officers working that day and says, hey, look, you know, I don't know. Uh, and it was a big description. But he said, hey, you know, this happened. It's in proximity to where we are. Be aware of it. And so they were. This church is so large that they have three uniformed law enforcement officers that are in the parking lot during their services. Uh, unfortunately, within two minutes of the service ending and those officers leaving, uh, there was a smoke bomb set off at the back of the church. There was a smoke bomb set off at the front of the church. And a gentleman began his assault on the church in the parking lot, attacking a family in a minivan, killing two, wounding three. The father and one of the daughters perished. And uh, the mother and the uh, other two daughters, I believe, were wounded in that attack. He then shot his way in through the main doors of the church. Their main, To give you an idea how large this church is, their main hallway is a hundred yards long. It's an enormous uh, place where he fought his way into where this young lady, who was a former Minneapolis, Minnesota police officer who was on the safety team, uh, encountered him and they had an armed encounter and she killed him. And this New Life shooting kind of set on the national stage uh, the need for church security. And so some of the things that we come up against in churches and some of the reasons why we come up against these things is by our design. Our churches are designed to be inviting and welcoming and an extension of the church's ministry and the pastor's ministry. And so that's what we want. We want them walking in. We want folks who are seeking refuge in our sanctuaries to feel welcome and want to be there. And so some of the reasons why we're a, a soft target. There are some other reasons why. Some of the reasons that you may hear if you're a decision maker within your church and you're trying to maybe have this effort um, you know, within your church, you may, you know, God will protect us. Or uh, it'll never happen here. Um, some of our churches may have a congregation that isn't thrilled about the thought of armed people walking amongst them. Uh, or simply, yeah, we 
want to do something, but, you know, we have time. We, we have time. And so these are some of the faulty belief systems, I believe, that are at work uh, preventing, hindering hurdles in front of us from uh, setting up a safety team or doing something. I believe that these are just a handful of scriptures that give us the biblical authority to stand watch, to be vigilant, to look and be aware. You know, Matthew 24, 43 understands this. If the owner of the house had known at the time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. And certainly, they're speaking of the return of Christ, but it's speaking of vigilance. And so I think, you know, God is at work here. I believe that, that God is trying to protect us. And so I think the time has come where our vigilance, our vigilance within the community, our vigilance for looking after those who are in desperate need of God, uh, that vigilance, I believe there's a time for now to look out for those who are looking out for those who are in need. So the trouble in today's church is simply this. You know, when an incident occurs, everyone's stunned, shocked, of course, surprised that evil is visited upon our church. And the most common comment is, I can't believe this happened here. In November of last year, there was an assault on a small church. Uh, 27, 29 people killed. Um, the prevailing statement in that rural Texas church was, I can't believe this happened here. Fresno, California, that very same Sunday, two individuals were killed uh, in the parking lot of a Catholic church in Fresno, California. Unfortunately, these shootings are more common and more common. After all, nobody ever thinks that bad things will come our way. We think God will protect us, God will protect our church. But the unfortunate truth is that bad things do happen to good people. Predators are among our society. And simply, we are welcoming, we are friendly, we are by design wanting to engage those in need. We want to do that. But are we ill-prepared for when violence comes our way? I believe that God's expectation is that we recognize the dangers that we face, certainly. And we're prudent in our action to minimize the threats against us and that we have an effort, an intentional effort, to protect ourselves, our children, and our life. Nehemiah 4.9, we're all familiar with it, says, but we prayed to our God and we posted a guard at night to meet this threat. So I'll run through just a few statistics, some of the things that we're aware of. These are deadly force encounters at faith-based organizations just in the United States. Incidents of deadly force encounters that resulted in death were 478. So, oftentimes, and wrongly so, we equate an assault on our church as an assault on our belief system. And though that does occur, and that was the reason and motivation behind the church shooting in, in New Life in Colorado. It is simply a very small percentage of why these deadly force encounters occur. Far more common, right? Simple robbery, theft offenses, sir. Uh, what was the date for the year? Since 1999. These statistics I'm providing you are from only from 1999 through the end of through December of last year. Um, so, 25% of the time, almost 26% of the time, simple robbery, theft, right? 
Folks, uh, crimes of opportunity. They're walking through the church. They see, you know, uh, Mrs. Uh, James Purse sitting there and they, they snatch the person out the door. They go. 16% is domestic related. How often, you know, depending on the size of your church, you know, uh, Tom and Sally, they're fussing at one another and pastor's counseling them. Tom's not digging what pastor's saying to her. And Tom decides in the middle of the service he's going to have a conversation with the pastor. He's going to stand up and let him know he's not happy with what he's saying to Miss Sally. Domestic related. Personal conflict, right? Folks in the church fussing, not getting along with one another, rolling around in the aisles. <laughs> Personal conflict. Mentally endangered persons. In law enforcement, we call them the emotionally disturbed persons. Uh, for law enforcement, among the most dangerous individuals because they're so unpredictable to deal with. So we're... You know, we're always officer, nice guy, how are you, how are you doing, you know, and the whole time we're thinking about how we're going to kill him. <laughs> Mental illness. And then, of course, religious bias at just 6% for the uh, deadly force encounters that we've been able to track. So, you know, we all have that uh, romantic version of somebody assailing our church because of our beliefs and we're standing strong and they hate Christ and those things and though that does happen... It is really among the most uh, minority that happens. So incidents where weapons were used with, that we know of, firearm in 57% of the time, firearm, edged weapons, which would be a knife, almost 16%. Vehicles, I'm going to run you over in the parking lot. As soon as I see that guy, I'm running him over. Weaponless assault, okay? Oftentimes it gets lost in the narrative, Especially when we talk about, or if you see law enforcement counters and you, and you hear words about, you know, he was unarmed. Well, a weaponless assault is an assault nonetheless. And so in law enforcement, you, you know, when an officer is assaulted, just because it's not a wep they don't possess a weapon doesn't mean it's any less of an assault. Uh, this is just simply physical altercations, you know. No weapons involved, but they're, they're duking it out. No, Locations of incidents, sir. I noticed that one was higher number than the other one. Yes. Edged weapon. Right. Yeah, so far and away, you know, uh, if you have a domestic situation or something erupts uh, without um, prior design, you know, all of a sudden you and I, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, the boiler needs replacing. I think it needs replacing. You don't want to replace it. And now before you know it, you know, we're of low emotional intelligence and now we're rolling around. <laughs> What are they doing? Working it out. Working it out. So that's what that is. So, so far, you know, that w that number would be larger. You know, weaponless assaults. And so, location of incidents, and this is critical, gang. If if uh, you know, in our next session, or when you sit down with your decision makers and you're trying to build an understanding of what a safety team looks like, these are some things that are critical to your decision making, and it's this. Where are the location of these incidents? That church shooting in Texas started in a parking lot. Almost 75% of all of these incidents begin in the parking lot. I have a five-man safety team every Sunday, five Sundays. I have 25 people on my safety team. That safety team is comprised of medical personnel, firefighters, and former law enforcement. And just those sheepdogs right, within the church who have a, a, a natural desire to want to look out for one another. But I have a guy in the parking lot at all times. It is a must. And so we rotate an individual in the parking lot, even if in our service, you know, we have a, a complex uh, facility. So, um, you know, I have guys 
permanently in the uh, in the children's area, permanently in the exterior hallways, permanently in the sanctuary, permanently in the balcony, and permanently in the parking lot. But those guys can communicate on the radio and 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 switch out. So, but there's always somebody in the parking lot. So, 74% occur in the parking lot, occurring within the church building. The remaining 26%. Of that total 100%, almost 40% is occurring during service times, which is suggestive of some of these thefts and robberies and other things, especially if you live in the high crime area or you have your church property is a center where folks are coming and going or cu cutting through or meeting there or you have basketball courts there and kids are there and so there's you know an assault there or whatever. It's still on your property. So almost 40% of these uh, deadly force encounters occurred during the church service. So understand the reason your church needs a security team. Planning for problems is half the battle, of course. Identifying key people within your organization to handle security issues could be the difference between successful co conclusion to an event and severe civil and criminal liability. Numerous shooting incidents and robberies should be enough to help us understand that security planning is no longer an option. No longer an option. Sir? You can go back for a second. Uh, well, let me see if I can go back. No, no, right there. <laughs> no, no, that one. So when you talk about liability, that's always a, uh, a big thing when you talk about safety, health, and other things, because some of the things you're talking about, I mean, you have medical personnel in your team and other things. Uh, and I know when it comes to medicine, for example, you're usually co uh, covered by what they call the Good Samaritan yes. laws if you yes. intervene. Does that apply here as yes. well? Yes, okay. it does. Okay. So, and we'll talk about that. Okay. We'll talk about that in particular in the next session, uh, some of the more uh, intimate details on the, the, the formulation of your safety teams and what, what you might be looking for. Um, insurance concerns, and, and we're going to talk about some of those things very soon, like uh, next so, why should you start a safety team? We call ours at Highway a safety team. You can call it a security team. Um, critical to the success of uh, our safety team is that we are absolutely an extension of the mission of the church. You know, and We work in concert with all of the other ministries. We are very much an extension of the pastor's ministry. And so, the, what is the number one reason why you should have a safety team? And here it is. Uh, for the safety of your members and guests, obviously. You know, you want to create an atmosphere where people feel free to come and go and know that something's being done. That something's being done. The primary reason to start a team is because we care for the members and guests of our churches and need to have caregivers, sheepdogs, whatever you want to call them, in place. Number two. Due diligence. And so the second reason is that we've done our due diligence. And that the definition of due diligence in civil litigation is simply an effort made by ordinary prudent folks or reasonable party to avoid harm to another party. Failure to make this effort may be considered negligence. And we'll talk about this a little bit. We're going to park here for a moment. Due diligence. With a note of rise in violence, we need to think about a few of these things. Do you have a duty to protect your church family and visitors? Mm -hmm. Do you provide reasonable protection? Do you do this? Do you do background checks? We'll talk about this. And so the, here's the question that you're going to have to ask yourselves. 
And I'm finding more and more um, that as churches engage their um, insurers, their insurance carriers, they're very much behind the formulation of safety teams. They'll give you the framework for it. They'll give you uh, sample policies uh, for you to, to set those teams up. And it may actually reduce your insurance costs you know, if they are aware that you have an intentional effort in this area. And then so for some of us in here who maybe, you know, who, who do not have safety teams in place or have a fear of putting those teams in place for liability, I think we've arrived at a point in time where, you know, uh, heaven forbid there should be a significant negative event in your church. You know, I think that most of our churches, those who attend, believe something's being done. And so when you have that you know, significant negative event and folks find out that nothing was being done, you know, words like suing and litigation and those kinds of things are going to get passed around no matter what. And so due diligence says you should be doing something because you're probably going to get sued even if you're doing nothing. Because they're coming with an expectation you're doing something, so if you don't, you could be deemed negligent. And if you do go down this road... Just like in everything that we do in the name of Christ, we want to do it with excellence. We want to do it with intentionality. And so, you know, due diligence is a double-edged sword. If we're going to go down this road, let's do it well. And if we're not going to go down this road, understanding that we're probably liable still. And peace of mind for the church body game. The reality of the team's existence is a servant-based ministry to help church members, staff, and visitors. The church safety team provides our church family the freedom to focus on ministry while we keep the environment safe and protected. It's a new day in church, and security and safety ministry is a must. So this, for this part in, in your church, is it covert or covert? Well, great question. And, and we'll cover that more in depth in, in the next session. But for our church, it is very subdued. You know, And so... The, the number one thing that you're going to hear from me is this. It's, um, what are you comfortable with, right? You know, do you want somebody standing at the door with a, a shirt and a badge on and a weapon displayed and, you know, standing back there, maybe dark sunglasses on, watching everybody? Probably not. So, you know, for our church, you know, we, you know they're, they're in... Uh, pants that they can function in, so, you know, we have the 511 pants that, that you can buy in any color, but they provide you the freedom if you, you know, heaven forbid, you should have to be rolling around with Jim because he's being a goof again. Um, <laughs> I, I restrict, uh, I restrict on, on my safety team for the carrying of firearms for current law enforcement or retired law enforcement only, um, and I'll explain why in the next session, in particular why that is. Um, but they, they, they wear you know, polo shirts and they're untucked and so the weapon is covered if they're wearing a weapon. We have a, radios, you know, we have a radio system that covers the entire church property, exterior, interior. Uh, and those are subdued. They're underneath their shirts and it's a, it's a wire that comes up and it kind of slides in the ear and there's a little microphone right there. And so that way, you know, for the, for the armed uh, safety team member who's in the sanctuary during the service... Uh, he's listening to all this radio traffic going on, but not, you know, no one's bothered around him. You know, he's able to freely hear what's happening. So it's very much subdued. That's not to say that, you know, I, I think, you know, like at New Life, they wear blazers and, and they're pretty well marked. You know, I mean, they're, they're identifiable. Um, our pastor, and again, it's, it's about comfort. You know, what are we comfortable with? Your, the decision makers in your church, you know, uh, they, they, 
you know, you may have uh, an older congregation who maybe is not, you know, again, not thrilled with knowing that people are walking around with guns among them. I can't tell you uh, this peace of mind, you know, highway runs about 600, and I can't tell you the number of, of older uh, women, you know, who, who come up to us and are so thankful knowing that we're there. I mean, all the time, come on, I just want to thank you so much for what you do, you know. And so it really, really, really contributes to the peace of mind. And again, you know, these negative events are incredibly rare. I mean, they are. Um, but they gain so much exposure, you know, there is a, a, a legitimate fear. And so, you know, with kind of little effort, we can lay aside some of that fear and, and deliver peace of mind with the understanding something's being done. And for us, you know, uh, from, from my safety team, you know, we provide dignitary protection as well. You know, we have, uh, you know, we're, we're vigilant as far as are there things going on in our community we need to be aware of. We had Lee Strobel at our church, and uh, he did a, a big conference. And, and uh, so my safety team picked him up at the airport, delivered him to his hotel, took him from his hotel to the church. We were in proximity with Lee the entire time that he, that he ran these multiple day sessions. Um, and Lee Strobel is as genuine as the day is long. And so here's a guy who's written, you know, you know, millions and millions of books that have been sold and would stand at the end of every one of his sessions and sign and take a picture and have a conversation with whomever wanted. And so we were in close proximity with him, you know, while all of those individuals engaged him very much in the background, made sure he got the dinner okay, made sure he got dropped off at the hotel at night. And afterwards, and this is a guy who's spoken all over the world, you know, not that our intention is to impress, but, you know, of course we want to be impressive. And so afterwards, you know, he said, um, he really complimented the safety team. You know, he says, I experienced this all over the world, and this is some of the, of the most well-done security that I've seen, our little church. So with a little bit of intentionality, you know, we can really do this well. And really for not a lot of money either. So peace of mind for those who are in your church. Other reasons for the safety team. This is far and away, gang, why we should have a safety team in place. Medical emergencies. Far and away. You're going to have somebody struggling to breathe or uh, an allergic reaction or, or something. And so I have a go bag uh, that, that our safety team has. And that go bag is designed from everything from a bee sting to a gunshot wound. And so that go bag is in the hands of the nurse or the firefighter or the EMT who's on uh, the safety team that day. And simply, you know, that firefighter or that EMT, that, that go bag is just in the seat next to them. And they got a radio, and if we need them, they hear it and they go. And so far more likely than an active shooter are these medical emergencies. And so our EMTs and our firefighters, they're nothing more than a bridge between the incident and when the professionals arrive on scene. You know, so that's what that's designed for. Guessing the leader of the team or somebody's assigned to making sure these uh, equipments are updated, whether it be an EpiPen or yes. whatever it is. Yes, so great question. His question was, you know, is there somebody, you know, if you have a go bag, you know, is somebody looking after it because there are things in there that, that, that can't expire. And, and the fact is, yes, now I'm the, I'm the director of our safety team. I don't look after that stuff. I have no idea. An EpiPen, I would hurt myself, I'm sure. <laughs> so, you know, so I have, a, fi I have a, a firefighter EMT, and that's his deal. You know, you empower the people with the, with the smarts, and I say, hey, dude, this is your bag, and you look, and what, what do you need in it? I'll make sure we got it, and you look after it. But, but great question. It, you know, 
same thing with the intention, the whole uh, intentionality thing is that, you know, we, we look at everything. And so I'm going to key in on, on, on what's really, really important for your safety teams. And it may apply to some of your churches. I know it applies to mine. And today is a great example of why Synergy should have a safety team in place. And by the way, they do not. It should be staffed by doctors, nurses, paramedics, EMTs, all my uh, safety team people are, are um, uh, CPR you know, certified. There's really no, nothing to it anymore. It's just compressions until somebody gets there. Um, you know, the automatic defibrillator devices um, are really automatic. You know, I mean, literally they'll tell you start compressions. They'll tell you shock. I mean, you just slap them on and it'll walk you through everything. Um, So, this is a vast complex, and we are in room 214. Thank you very much. So, somebody in here starts to struggle to breathe, and we call the EMTs, and the EMTs, we tell them, hey, we're in room 214, and the EMTs show up at the, at, at the front of the school. Okay, where's room 214? And so, now they've got to meander through this building until they find room 214, and hopefully, you know, you haven't stopped the breathing. And so, critical... Um, to the, your ability to sell a safety team to the decision makers in your church. So at Highway Tabernacle, it is a complex, vast facility. And so if one of my safety team's in place and I'm in room 214 and I get on the radio and I say, hey, Jim, Jim's working the parking lot, I also have somebody who's predetermined to call 911, right? So you're the predetermined 911 caller, Jim, and I need you to call 911. We have an emergency in room 214. A gentleman here is struggling to breathe. Jim says, you got it, I'm on 911 right now, and I'm in the parking lot waiting for them to arrive. Hey, Jim, I need you to update 911. Gentleman is quick breathing. We've initiated CPR. Let them know. I'll let them know. Jim meets the EMTs in the parking lot and escorts them to room 214 because he knows exactly where it is, and those EMTs waste no time coming in here. There's no greater selling point, gang, for your safety team than simply expediting Delivering emergency services where they're needed in your places of worship. Uh, you know, highway is huge, and it's got exterior buildings and a gym, and it's got an outbuilding, and it's got all of these things going on. And it is amazed if you're not familiar with it. Just like this school is. You know, how uh, for me, I'm wandering around trying to figure out where do I go and what's going on. So critical to helping uh, your decision makers in your church understand the need for it is simply that. Just simply expediting the delivery of, of emergency services to where they're needed. And again, it's not going it, to. You know, it, it's probably not going to be that active shooter. It's probably not going to be somebody you're rolling around with in the sanctuary. It's far and away more likely going to be some a medical emergency somewhere that you're going to have to uh, deliver emergency services to. Sir. Uh, what have you found to be some of the best communication devices or in terms of just broad, cat, broad brush category? Well, so we, we bought, you know, I set my safety team up for less than $1,500. I spent $600 on six high-end radios, $100 a piece. And they, they were re Realm, R-E-L-M. And I went to a radio guy. So in Young, I'm from Youngstown, Ohio. I'm from the Yo. And... In Youngstown is a, is a large team challenge facility. It's about 170 bed facilities, full. It's, it's, it's the old Kafaro Hospital, so it's an enormous building as well. And so uh, I, I went to team challenge and I said, hey, 
what radios do you use and, and how well do they work? And they use these radios. So I had, you know, I had a really good already working understanding. So, but in law enforcement, you know, the radio I carry in and of itself costs $3,000. So, you know, uh, so the, the equipment I was familiar with was not what we could use. So I went to, you know, I went to a facility. So um, I have a radio guy. I probably should put his number up here, but he's in the Youngstown area. So, um, you know, I think if you start asking around, especially if you have law enforcement professionals or firefighters within your uh, organizations, they, they probably can direct you. Um, but there are high, you're probably going to pay about $100, $150 for a really high-end radio. You want a really good radio system. Um, I bought five earpieces and microphones, and I said, you guys can all share these, you know. And if you want to buy your own, you know, they're 25 bucks, and of course, everybody bought their own. So, um, you know, so you got about another, got another 25 or 30 bucks for the, for the microphone and the earpiece, and then you got the $100 radio. Um, and so, you know, I got like 600 bucks in the radios. I bought, you know, my go bag was about $400 with the bag and, and full of everything in it. And then the, the earpieces, those would have been another couple hundred bucks, but, that, you know, I was able to convince everybody to buy their own. So, minimum required equipment for your go bag. You know, you're going to want to have a basic first aid, trauma kits in there, AED device. Those devices uh, should be strategically placed within your organization if you can afford them. They're about 1000 to $1,500. That's an investment. And they need to be maintained. Um, but trust me, if a dear friend of yours goes down and uh, that device is all the difference in the world. I have a very, very, very good friend of mine. He's a captain on the Youngstown Fire Department and was at Planet Fitness. And he's running on a treadmill and he hears pop, right? He hears this loud thud and he's running. He's like, man, that's weird. But I kept running, you know. And, but the guy behind him was running and he went down. His heart quit. Young guy, 20 years old. Just so happened, another firefighter and an emergency room nurse were working on a plan of fitness. They went over to him. He hears all the commotion, turns around, this guy's down. They went and got that defibrillator, put it on, and fired him, and brought him right back. Brought him right back. Um, so they're, I mean, they're, they're unbelievable. So, you know, if you can uh, invest in them, you're welcome to do that. Severe weather, gang. So in Boardman, Ohio, another suburb of Leo, that very same Sunday in November when... Uh, that church shooting in Texas occurred, I think it was October and November, and uh, the Fresno shooting. We had a significant weather event in Boardman where a number of buildings were leveled, and that was a Sunday evening. So Sunday morning we had that large church shooting. Sunday evening, for many of us, we have Sunday evening services. There were several buildings in Boardman that were leveled. F5 uh, uh, tornado comes through and, and, and uh, knocks down a bunch of buildings. So severe weather. If uh, Sunday morning and three minutes out, you're, you become aware that there's a tornado bearing down on your building, do people know where to go? Do you have people in place to get them where they need to go in an orderly fashion, right? So tornadoes, severe weather, you know, are you, are you prepared to respond with few minutes notice? And I promise you, gang, if you're not intentional and if you're not organized, you're not prepared. It's just, and, and I'm speaking from experience, you know, at Highway, um, our church was like, hey, you know, are you carrying a gun? You're carrying a gun? Okay, we got you know, a couple guns there. All right, we're good. Gang, if there was a negative event, people would, a lot of people would die. So you, you've got to be prepared. Far and away, one of the main reasons why you want to have a safety team in place is because if you do have a significant negative event, at least you have a fighting chance to make a difference. 
If you're doing nothing, you're not going to make a difference, gang. And you've got people running for the exits, and, and you're, it's going to be mass chaos. And additional people are going to get hurt because of the chaos. So, fire evacuation, pandemic, earthquakes. I mean, just simply saying, there are many other reasons than the active shooter that we should have safety teams. So many or so often, people land on, you know, people want to hurt us and we need to do something. And that is true. You know, that is a legitimate statement. But far and away, you know, medical emergencies and weather emergencies and these other common things that were large gatherings of individuals, you know, you're going to have. Um, we were having, you know, back to Sunday church, a big giant barbecue. Had like 900 people in the parking lot, big tent, right? Some ladies having a baby, man, right there in the parking lot. My daughter just graduated nursing school. She's an emergency room nurse, right? And I turned to her and I said, she's having a baby. She's like, I never delivered a baby. I said, neither did I, babe, but she's having a baby. So roll your sleeves up. Here we go. It'll be the first for both of us. She's, she's a nurse, right? Hi, I've never delivered a baby. Neither have I, but she's having a baby, so let's go. Uh, fortunately, you know, the ambulance got there before she had the baby, but she's having a baby, girl, right? She's having, you got to do what you got to do, jump in, right? Here we go. So, real quick, how, how much time do you spend as a team trying to figure Okay, so great question. How often do you train or do you train with your security staffs and do you do congregational-wide training? So I'll, I'll take your second question first. No, I do not train the congregation. I, trained, I train the uh, professionals and we handle the congregation. And so the reason why I don't is because you know, Highway is kind of a larger church and, and, and transient. So, you know, you know our church, we may have a church of, of 400, you know, today, and we may have a church of 403 weeks, and we got 100 new people, right? So, you know, to try to train on a regular basis all of those people simply logistically is not an option for us. It's just too large. So, you know, for like Alice training or those kinds of things, uh, we don't do that for the congregation. Now, training my 25 person safety team, we do train, and on a regular basis. Probably, you know, so I had initial training when we set it up, and I, you know, I, I bought pizza for the youth group, and I said, hey, come in here, and, and I'm going to have you create chaos in the sanctuary, and we're going to work it out. <laughs> and so, you know, so that's called scenario-based training, you know, so, you know, I, I went to the prosecutors in, 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 in uh, Mahoning County, and I said, you know, so if somebody stands up in the, in the congregation, and we want them removed, we can go hands-on if need be and escort them out, and that's not considered assault or any of those things. And they said, absolutely not, you can take them out. So, you know, I, you, when you make your selections, and in our next session, we'll talk about the importance of selecting the right people. Um, that's critical because it's a ministry. And, you know, those negative events are pretty rare. What is far more common is them standing in your entryways to the church and, and welcoming people in and talking to people and being available for the greeters and the ushers and, you know, um, those uh, individuals who are your greeters and ushers and have this tremendous life experience. And they may not know what's wrong, but they know something's wrong. You know, they're talking to the guy, you know, and it's, it's 103 degrees and he's in a black trench coat. That's weird. You know, don't know why, but hey, you know, why do you want to talk to that guy? So, you know, the safety team works in close concert with all of those, with our child care ministries, you know, because I have a guy in child care 
We, we at, you know, after service starts, about 20 minutes after service starts, child care is locked down. One of my safety guys are in that child care area for the duration of the service, and it's locked down. And so, you know, we have a, 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 a check-in system, and so if a parent comes to the door and they don't have that, you know, get-out-of-jail-free card, they ain't getting out of jail, right? So can can be a problem. How old my kid? Do you have your badge? No, sorry. <laughs> We do. Okay, I thought that maybe some hands on We do. So I mean, you know, not not for like actively intervening if there's, you know, and so bottom line, you know, if a, you know if there's a custody dispute or something, and a parent arrives in there and they're taking a the child out, I'm not going to wrestle the guy to the ground. You know, that we can let that be worked out through the legal system. Um, so we do scenario-based training. We do train, and you know, critical to the success of your safety team is working in concert with all of those ministries. And uh, again, I call it scenario-based training. In, in a couple of weeks in Youngstown, um, we're going to be having uh, some additional training, and I make it available for every church in the area. You want to come? If you have a safety team, you know. So we'll be doing some tactical training. So if you have people who are carrying firearms on behalf of your church. Encourage them to come there and do some of our training. We don't certify them, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll educate you, we'll train you, you know, we'll, we'll show you some things that you can do. And so, when you take this on, you know, you, you take it on with the understanding that you, you, we want to be intentional about it. And there's going to be some some Sundays and Saturdays, you know, that, that folks are going to be given to be better at what we do. So, ministry is uh, escort responding EMS. Some of the reasons why, right? We already talked about that. Communication between us, so security, medical, church leadership. Traffic controls needed for responding EMS, right? Meeting the EMS in the parking lot, getting them where they're going. Depending on the location of the security ministry, we'll communicate with medical while responding. Uh, again, you know, I have a designated 911 person. The reason why I have a designated 911 person is this. You know, if there's something really bad happening and somebody's grabbing their phone and they're trying to put their code in just to get the phone unlocked and the phone falls down, they pick it up and they're like, what's 911 again? You know, what's the number? I can't find the 11. Um, so, you know, when uh, you have these uh, events and the adrenaline's running, you know, you have to have pre-thought. You have to have a pre-planned. So every team's got a designated 911 guy. You're the guy who's calling 911. Um, not that that can't change. You know, if he's rolling around with somebody, you can't call 911. I can't call. I got him. All right, I'll call. But they're, you know, pre-planning. You know, organization is the key. So... Challenges for church security ministries, okay? So obviously our churches are historically not security conscious um, because we want our churches to be open and welcoming. We, we don't want, you know, mag, mag lock doors and, and, you know, bulletproof glass and all of those things, you know. Um, we want people seeking refuge in our sanctuaries. And so, you know, when, when we create these open atmospheres, you know, we are a soft target. And we are an open society. And so if somebody is intent on harm, you know, unfortunately, you know, conversations for classes like this only, people are going to die. And so our job is to see to it that we try to reduce the number. You know, so in law enforcement, you know, Columbine taught us that we don't stage outside and wait for SWAT, you know. So after Columbine, we learned to get to go in. And so then we started, you know, this quad training, which was simply said, you know, the first four officers on scene gear up, we all had tactical rifles and those kinds of things, and now we're going in. Well, now it's first on, first in. And we train our guys, you're stepping over dead bodies, and you're stepping over screaming people, and we're finding the bad man, and we're stopping him. 
And so, you know, when when you set up safety teams, you know, and again, that's probably the smallest of things that, that may occur, but, you know, you're asking them to do, you know, being on a safety team is just like being a policeman. It's 99% a blast and it's fun and, and 1% the worst day in your life. And so, you know, when we ask folks to, to come on our safety teams, you know, we're asking them that, that, you know, you may be involved in a negative event with your friends, you know, with your buddy who all of a sudden is going sideways over something in a church and you've got to go hands-on and he's your friend. I mean, you know, so, so we're asking them to be involved in, in, right, some unpleasant things. And so, you know, those selections are critical. So historically, we're not security conscious. We're image conscious, of course, right? We don't want people rolling around with AR-15 standing at the door. Yeah, sure, come on in. Show you a seat. Right over there. So, you know, we're image conscious, of course. You know, in our church, it's, a very, it's very understated, but we're very present. And, you know, the, so the people who come to your church on a regular basis know that the guys with the ear thing in their piece are the guys on the safety team, and so they know that. And I make sure that every Sunday, you know, so we have like three main entries into our church, and I make sure there's a safety guy, uh, a safety team member in each of those entryways. And when he gets there, he says to the greeters and the ushers, hey, I'm on the safety team today. If you see anything, if you see something, say something. If you see anything, but let me know. And then he should be out there greeting, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Come on, there you go, right? An absolute extension of, of the passion of your church, you know, the, the church's ministry, vital to what's going on, but they're there. So, financial considerations. Your insurance, does it increase? Does it decrease? Does our litigation, our opportunity for litigation increase, decrease? Those are all questions that you have to ask. And you have to answer. You know, you need to communicate with your insurance carriers. You know, what are their thoughts on this? Do they have training available? Will they come alongside you? Oftentimes they will. You know, and then, are you going to invest in it? You have to invest in it. And so with that, any questions? Sir? Yeah, um, I just... Uh you, that one point was like uh, traditionally we were not security conscious and stuff like that. So it's like we've come to it. We're at a different time now. It seems like because people wouldn't people in the past people would not like even think about going into a place of worship to do something horrible like that. It seems like you yeah. know. Yeah. And now it's just like things have just totally changed. And they have, you know. And and so for me, you know, and again, you know law enforcement career and former military and it's kind of in my my in the vein of who I am you know but I want to be known by my love and I want you know so if I'm a church I want my family to want to attend you know so I want to be known by my love and so even in my law enforcement career you know though evil it feels like evil is increasing and and, and it is you know I, my personal approach to it it hasn't changed. I want to be known by my love. Now, I'm, I'm always prepared to meet violence with greater violence, but uh, I can't tell you the, you know, the number of opportunities where I've spoken into and, and changed lives. You know, all the while, you know, working it out of my head how I'm going to kill you. You know, it's a weird, it's a weird occupation that we choose. But so, so though, you know, it does seem as though evil is increasing towards God's people. You know. We want to love more, you know, we want to be more. And so, you know, that safety team, you know, so if somebody's greeting people and they're a little nervous because these are folks I don't know, but hey, I have a safety team member behind me, so now I feel a little bit better, I can be out there and then we're out there. So every little bit that we can do, you know, I think, you know, is is just that greater opportunity to overcome evil with love. 
know you said you're going to talk about selection of the team in the next session, uh, but I just wanted to ask you a quick question. Um, in terms of how you pick the people, more so the number you pick to avoid burnout mm -hmm. and also to avoid when people, for some reason, can't be there, vacations, sure. tired, whatever it is. How do you go about doing that? You just have a big team? So, so the question is, you know, how do you avoid burnout? And, of course, you know, so, so Highway's a, kind of a larger church, a larger pool of people to draw from. And we're pretty fortunate. got about eight or nine current or former law enforcement officers. And, again, you know, I rely on their – and I'll talk about it in the next session. But one of the reasons why I, I kind of reserve, you know, the carrying of firearms to those is because, you know, I know that they have really high-end training, and I'm not responsible for it. So, you know, their departments are, and they, so all of their firearms training and tactical training is taken care of by the, the department. I'm not responsible for it. So that's a big relief for me because that can be a large expense. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're a smaller church and you hand-select a couple of folks and you want someone to be carrying firearms, you know, um, and we'll talk about it, but, you know, your concealed carry eight-hour class is woefully inadequate. So, you know, you have to invest in the training and, 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 the, and the rounds and all the, and the range time and the, and the instructors. And so, you know, it can be a big cost, you know, so I, I get it. So my team is of 25 members. It's five Sundays. It's five members per Sunday. I never want somebody repeating a Sunday. So, you know, and then those individuals know to trade in and out. If I can't be here this Sunday, hey, I'll take your Sunday. And then I have a couple extra. So I probably have about 35 people who are in that pool. Um, and I have five assigned to each Sunday, and you never repeat the Sunday. So if you're on first Sunday, second, third, fourth, or fifth Sunday, that's your Sunday, and that's when you're on. And uh, so that's how I personally avoid um, burning anybody out, you know, because I don't want the same, you know, because we want them in the service, right? Sir? So on the same vein, are there, in the police force, are So, so I mean, I've got I've got some former military, I've got some yeah. of those guys, but you know, essentially, are, are, are you are, are, do you see law enforcement developing programs to? Well, we, you know, to be honest with you, my police department is among the first who are doing this. You know, this is, uh, there aren't a lot out there. I mean, I've trained all over Mahoning, Trumbull, and Columbiana County, those areas near where I'm at, um, because not a lot of departments are doing it. The city of Youngstown just got a $10,000 grant, you know, to, to try to be more active within, you know, their faith-based uh, safety teams. I was doing all of their training, so they're, you know they're they're turning me. Hey, where do we go? And I'm sending them off to these different schools. So it's gaining a foothold, um, but it, it it can be a while. Um, so one of the things that I talk about the most is your comfort level. So you know you are intimately familiar with those who call your church home. And, and within those churches are, are solid people who are emotionally well-balanced and they're emotionally intelligent. And, they're, they're, and they may be former military. And, and, and those may be the individuals that you call upon that say, hey, you know, we, are you interested in this? And if so, would you carry a firearm on behalf of us? And if you do that, you know, if you uh, invite someone to carry a gun on behalf of your church, you, you better train them. Because now you're liable for them. Okay, I don't preclude people from carrying firearms in, in our church. You know, I mean, concealed carry says you can't unless you have a letter from the church that says you can. Um, 
But so if I on my team I have a number of concealed carry individuals who are on my team. They never carry when they're on my safety team. Any other Sunday I could care less. But when you're functioning uh, at the behest of the church, you are not carrying a firearm for us. You're, you know, so leave the gun at home in the trunk of the car, whatever you do. And so that's us. But again, you know, we have the luxury of having a handful of law enforcement that I that I kind of restrict to. I have like an NRA firearms guy, competitive shooter. He's allowed to carry. I have another person who is an armed security officer who went through the armed security officer training through the state of Ohio, and I let him carry because once again. You know, he's a security officer, state of Ohio is responsible for his training. I am not. So, and he's, I mean, he's a solid guy, and, and I, I, I know him well, so, and I permit him. But outside of those two exceptions, everyone else is law enforcement for me. Sir? Yeah, so uh, on, on, on uh, your, your team, how many people at, at one time are carrying? Are, are all five of those no, people? No, no. A, a minimum of one is a, 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 at least. On, so on all five of those teams, I have at least one police officer who's carrying. And so some of those teams have maybe two or three because I, I have eight. So one might, one, you know, you got to put them somewhere. So, you know, some might have two. Um, and then and then that guy's always in the sanctuary because it's the largest concentration of people in your church. So And he knows that the, the pastor knows who it is and where they're sitting because uh, your pastor's, if anything happens in the sanctuary, it's typically going to be maybe one of the first people to see it. So, you know, if he's preaching away and, and Jeff stands up and wants to have a conversation with the pastor in the middle of it and he sees it, looks at the safety guy and, and you know, think, and it's on. Now, we've never had that happen. But, you know, we, we hope for the best, but we plan for the worst. Every Sunday, my armed guy makes sure that the pastor knows who he is and where he's sitting. And, uh, you know, so, and it's just part of what we do. You know, so when you set up these positions and you set up job descriptions, you know, the job description for, for our guy in the sanctuary is, you know, if there's emergencies happening out in the, in the exterior rooms or the exterior buildings or childcare or the balcony or in the parking lot, unless I need to be there, I'm staying in the sanctuary because my responsibility is to the pastor and, the, and, the, and, you know, those guys can handle it. Now, if it starts to get out of hand, I can go out there. And again, never happened, but that's the way we train. So when it does happen... Everybody knows what they're doing. Um, we have a smaller church, 120 on a good Sunday. Uh, no law enforcement, <clears throat> but we have some military, former military personnel. My brother is on a safety team in a large church in another community over from us. And um, they recommended that we have, uh, if we have anyone carry, that they take OPADA training. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know so, exactly so, what that is. So OPADA is the Ohio Police Officer Training um, Organization, and it's, it's run through the, um, uh, through the governor's office, um, and, or through the attorney general's office, actually, so Mike DeWine through the attorney general's office. And uh, what that is is about a 20- or 30-hour armed security officer course that runs them through a more higher-end training, but it is a level of certification. So whereas, you know, Concealed carry is not certified. It just simply says you've, you're familiar with your firearm, and we looked into your background, and, and as far as we can tell, you're not a goof. Here's your gun. Uh, that's woefully inadequate for this. So you, ha- you have to, you know, so that next level of pot of training for armed security officer training, it's like $100 for a 20-hour course. It's something. And then once you do that, then begin to network with your police department, you know, because 
most full-time police departments have firearms instructors, and those guys, you know, pay them, you know, 25 bucks an hour or whatever. They're, they're probably happy to come down and train with you, you know, and, and teach you some tactics and those kinds of things. I know our department is. I can't speak for everybody, but we're happy to do it, and we do it all the time. You know, we'll come in and train your organization on active shooters. We'll come in and, you know, we'll, we'll train your church if you want it. Um, so network with the, you know, the uh, law enforcement agencies in your area and, uh, and with the other churches. Again, you know, if I'm having training, I'm going to make it available for all the churches. You know, it's not just about assemblies of God. It's, it's hey, who wants to come here? You know, because my opinion, the more people, the more questions, the more questions, the more answers. Sir. Well, for now, but that guy's in a car and he's driving around. And I'll give you, I'll give you for instance, uh, just about four or five weeks ago, maybe longer than that now, had a young lady come in and kind of out of place. And uh, so one of the greeters picked up on her. And so she went over to the safety guy and said, hey, not sure about this. So the safety guy walks over to her and says, hey, you know, can I help you? And she's like, oh, you know, I'm looking for gas cards. You know, we get that a lot. Absolutely. You know, safety guys, absolutely, we'll, we'll do whatever we can. But the service has started, and all of our pastors are tied up. Have a seat in the sanctuary, and as soon as the service is over, we'll connect you with one of our pastors, and we'll get you the help you're looking for. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think so. She walks out. Okay. Hey, Dave. Dave's sitting in the parking lot. This young lady was in here asking around, you know, just kind of keep an eye on her. Sure enough, she goes out, connects with the male. They walk to the back of our, walk around the back of the church, and now they're starting to pull on doors. So the parking lot safety guy pulls up, you know, and they're all radioed up and whatever, and he gets on. Same spell. Hey, what's going on? What can we do? Well, you know, we're looking for this. Service has started. Would love for you to come in, have a seat. You know, the moment the service is over, we'll connect you with the pastor. We'll get you the help you need. Uh, you know, I don't think we're going to wait. Okay, and they jump in the car and they leave. Eight minutes later, they went to a Catholic church and they robbed it of $600. Walked in, crime of opportunity. They had a bake sale. It was right there in the foyer, look around, snatch the cash box, and out they went. And that was a perfect illustration. It made the news. It made the news that they were, I don't know how they found out they were at our church. They came and interviewed me and the safety team. And it, but that was, that was it functioning perfectly. Open, inviting, please come in. We want to help you. Uh, no, okay, but we're going to keep an eye on you, right? We're going to set a guard at the gate and we're going to be vigilant. And uh, sure enough, they, they robbed uh, St. Christine's of $600. So, um, when it functions, it functions at a high level. Uh, again, you know, bottom line for you, it's absolutely about your comfort level. What is the pastor? What are the decision makers comfort, comfortable with? And then you operate within that framework, and you can set it up. You know, it can literally be two people: somebody on the outside and somebody on the inside with radios. And if somebody on the outside sees something, you know, I mean, it, it can be as large. And we will we'll talk about the dynamics of, of what it is and, and some of the things that we've done. Uh, in the next session, and we'll kind of get into the more nuts and bolts of who, what, where, when, why, and how. But do you lock your doors? We do. Yes. So at about 20 minutes, about 25 minutes after the service starts, we lock all exterior doors but one. Okay. So we funnel everybody to one, and I got a guy out there. Got, got a guy, you know, uh, in that foyer, in that area, the concentrated area. And so we do. Lock down child care. So, you know, in Highway, if you can envision it, it's a, it's a, it's a dome. <laughs> So it's a, it's, a, it's a round sanctuary, 
And so we have rooms all the way around it. And we got a big gym. And, and so one of the portions of that, that ring around the, the, the sanctuary is all childcare. So we have locking doors on one end and locking doors on the other. And check-ins over here. And once all the young people are checked in and service starts, those doors get locked. And, there's, and I have a safety guy in there. So if somebody comes to the door and they got their pass to pick up their kid, he, he opens up the door and he lets them in. But he's in there the entire time. Did you find that you had to, well, I come from an older church, you had to change the doors or any kind of structural changes in the beginning when you consider certain things? Because, I mean, a door that you can put your shoulder through and cracks and all. Absolutely. So, okay. so, you know, he's asking, you know, were there, were there physical changes to the building that we had to make to be more safety conscious? So, you know, in the old days, we had solid wood doors. And then, you know, we, had, we weren't doing background checks. And if you're not doing background checks on everybody who's operating on behalf of your church, you're out of your mind. Anybody who comes in contact with anybody in your church on behalf of your church should be background checked, especially your child care workers. So then, you know, we started putting windows in doors because people were being abused behind closed doors. And so we wanted to make sure the windows in the doors were available so when people walked past, you could look inside. And then we were learning now that active shooters, you know, they're able to see, oh, there's people inside there. I think I'll shoot through the store and go in. So, you know, you want to be as uh, safety conscious as practical. You know, if, um, if you're setting up your rooms to be, you know, uh, places where people are going to run, hide, and fight, then you probably want a door that can't be pushed open easily. Um, but your exterior doors, I mean, all of our exterior doors at highway are all glass, you know. So, you know... Bottom line, if somebody's intent on harm, you know, folks are going to get hurt. There's just no way around that. You know, our job is to mitigate that. Same thing in law enforcement, you know, firefighters, EMS, you know, uh, evil will be exacted upon others, and our job is to mitigate it. So uh, your safety team is, it can't be overly zealous, you know, so, you know, you, you don't want, you don't, so you're hearing in the national narrative that we need to fortify our schools, and, and, and that's a valid thought. But I can tell you from a law enforcement perspective that the worst case scenario of a hostage rescue situation is a prison. Okay? Because you can't get out and you can't get in. And so if we make our schools incredibly difficult to get in and for us to get in. So... You know, what's that balance? I don't know. I just, you know, when we start talking about glass block windows and barricaded doors and those kinds of things, you have to appreciate, you know, that it's going to be hard to get in. Hard for the bad guys, but if he rolls in there like this kid from uh, Florida who looks like he's 11 and he's 19, you know, and you mistake him for a fifth grader, right? So in an open and free society, and I hate to say this, you know, you know, some of this is a cost of doing business, uh, unfortunately. I mean, we can be North Korea, who is absolutely the epitome of social engineering. Or, you know, with the freedoms that we enjoy, we have to understand that, that you know, people will take advantage of it. Other questions? Um, we can have up to seven, eight services a week. From Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Sunday sure. night, Sunday mm-hmm. night. Right. You know, so looking at a safety team... So my, my, my safety teams cover every actual service and all special occasions. So the other night we had you know, that Tim Tebow's Night to Shine. And I think we had like 180 
uh, attendees, you know, special needs people, and then everyone that comes with them, and then we probably had 200 people working it. So, you know, you got, got eight or 900 people at this night to shine. So had had a full staff there. You know, I didn't just have five. I had like nine or ten. Um, when Lee Strobel was there, he spoke over several nights in a row. We had, we had a minimum of five every night. Um, so we do... But do I have, so youth group meets on Wednesday night. Do I have safety team members there on Wednesday night? No, I don't. You know, I, you know Royal Rangers meets on Tuesday or whatever, or, you know, uh, men's ministry uh, coffee nights on Thursday. Don't do those things. What about recovery services? Well, that, you know, so if you're, you know, that, that's a great question, and you're inviting people who desperately need the master, um, probably, just because... You know, you're, you know, you, we're hoping for the best, but, but these are people who are struggling with life issues, and you know, crimes of opportunity can grip them at a moment's notice, and they're rolling through. And, and Mrs. Potts' purse is sitting right there, and Mrs. Potts ain't around, you know, and this guy's, you know, in a moment of real struggle, fault, you know, it can happen. So, you know, we don't, we don't uh, at Highway. Sorry to say, you know, we don't have a recovery. We're kind of in the uh, special needs vein of things right now. Uh, so, but great question. And, and if you're asking my opinion, probably so. Sir? I was just making sure. So, in that situation with the Royal Rangers, the girls ministry, and other things, what has been your way if your team is not going to be there to kind of sort of mitigate, educate um, whatever you do that you think can help? So, we talked to all of our ministry leaders just to be safety conscious, you know, be aware, head on a swivel. Here's the bottom line now. You're looking at a father of three daughters. <laughs> Former military, religiously conservative, law enforcement, three X's. I got all the strikes in a row. <laughs> so I'm really big on emotional intelligence. And, and, and so for dads, especially, you know, I can have a bad day. You know, and I can come home in the morning and maybe just cut a 19-year-old who had taken his own life and I'm talking to mom who's wailing in grief. And I walk through the back door and there's underwear on the floor, right? I got the underwear! I got the underwear! So I, I'm, all, uh, I'm always careful about going back because I'm putting bricks in the wall there, right? I'm always careful to go back and take the brick out of the wall, and climb in their turf and say, it wasn't you, there's other things going on, I love you, yes, I want you to pick up your underwear, but you know, I'm not yelling at you. So emotional intelligence is huge in, in the selection of your teams and, and making it a, a great ministry effort and, uh, and those things. So. What the reason why I say all that is we have fantastic people who call our churches home with this amazing and a beautiful life experience. So you know you can't train everybody to be you know to be you know 007 right there. I don't want my mother-in-law right with the dark glasses on. I think he's doing something. Yeah, but that's your son. He's fine. Hey, just keep an eye on him. So trust your instincts. So with my girls, that's where I was going. Was you know I, I have your head on a swivel. Trust your instincts. You know if something's wrong, you're not. You may not know what that is, but you know something's wrong, and and it probably is. So trust those instincts. So, so the number one thing I, I tell all my ministry leaders is if you know if if there's something not right there, probably something not right there. Trust your instincts. Tell somebody right. Say something. Uh, see something. Say something. So bottom line, you know. The, the rings of training are going to be kind of small. You know, you're going to have that core group that are really trained and then others. And then there's a lot of folks I simply say, trust your instincts. You know, if, you know, if you're grieving and something's up with this guy, right, just seems out of place, probably because he seems out of place. Let, let somebody know. Other questions? Sir? Did your pastor 
or inform the church of the safety team? Well, we announced to the church that we were launching a safety team, and and then we we asked, we invited all those who had an interest in it to attend, you know, some some meetings, and so we talked to them. And then I'll tell you, bottom line, you know, before you were on my safety team, you filled out an application. Tell, you know, why do you want to be here? Why do you want to do this? So, you know, what training do you have? What do you, you know, I, I like fast cars and guns, and you have both. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, they fill out applications, right? Background checks, the whole nine yards. But so we did. So we announced it to, to the church. You know, hey, we're doing this. We're we're endeavoring in this area. And and in your churches, again, you know, you have the, the sheep, and we have the shepherds, and then you have the sheep dogs. And those are the those are the, the men and women in, in your body that are just drawn, you know, to want to look out for somebody. And it, it's not the person who really wants on that safety team, you know, but but people who are drawn to that, and that's who you're looking for. You know, those healthy, balanced people who love God, love people, and, and just want to be a help. And that's who you're looking for. Other questions? Do you find it's more valuable to have, because you guys are kind of quasi-covert, you know, you're not right out there and open. Do you think that it's more, you know, also in addition to that, as a deterrent? Like, you put a poster on the front door saying, by the way, someone in this church is armed. Proceed with your own caution or, or somewhere sure. to that vicinity. Because I, I find that probably that, when you make yourself not a soft target, tends to eliminate 90% of the casualties, the bad situations, sure. because it's, it's always the soft targets that get clobbered. Is if someone's like, yeah, I'm not going in there to rob that place or to shoot someone or whatever, because chances are I'm not going to make it back out of there, so I'm not going to go in there. Yeah. Do you find that it's the deterrent? You know, okay, well, you have nukes, so I'm not going to nuke you. Right. To that, to so, that so great question. You know, put, putting it out there, is that a, a, a deterrent? You know, there's no, I, I have no information. There's no real way to quantify that, to measure, to say, you know, does, you know, you know do homes with signs that say I have a safety, or, you know, I have a, I have a burglar alarm, get less burglarized in homes without them. I, I don't know that, you know, um, probably. But there, there again, it, it it lies with your comfort level. You know, if your pastor and decision makers are comfortable with putting doors or putting signs on the doors, says, "Hey, if you come in here with a gun, we're going to kill you." <laughs> How about it? You know. Uh, but again, it's it's your it's your it's your comfort level. So you know, um, some uh, safety teams are out there. You know, they 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 have a blazer. You know, they look nice and they got a little little safety thing on the thing on there. You know, and they're they're known and and so it's 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 out there. Uh, our pastor just simply said, hey, so, other questions? So you're not going to carry your plate carrier Sunday? Sure. Yeah. yeah, this is my back pocket. Yeah. The shield. Uh, she looks dangerous. Short, though. she got big teeth. Monty Python? Anybody else? Sir? Sure. And everyone figures out really quickly Real quick. that you're on a safety team. Right. Uh, and the kids think it's really cool and they love it and they're like, Yeah. Really, yeah, I got it. Word gets out. I wear mine every Sunday. It's not even connected to a radio, it's just in my back pocket. Right? Yeah, the word does get out. It does. It does. It's, it, and it's pretty quick. And again, uh, our church loves it. 
they love it. They oh, love yeah, knowing yeah. something's being done. They do. And, uh, you know, and I've been going there for 30 years, and a lot of these ladies that come up to me now were taught me in Sunday school, you know, uh, my wife and I back in the day. Uh, taught our, our young couples groups, and now they're, you know, we're looking after them, and they love it. And I think with today's, now, nowadays, if you had done this, I'm not sure, 15, 20 years ago, somebody would say, why are they doing this? Who came here? Who robbed us? Who right. shot us? But now they're like, oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so. And again, uh, whether you're doing something or not, if, if, if we're honest with ourselves, most of your congregations are coming with the expectation something's being done even if you're doing nothing, and that's dangerous too, because they're going to turn to you in that time of need. And, and in my opinion, you better have something more than a stern look. So. All right, gang. Uh, we'll start the next session here in a few minutes. Thanks.